0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. An Equatorial Chinese Wedding by Mabel Loomis Todd Far down in the China Sea, where it begins to think about joining the Java Sea, below the Straits of Malacca lies the little Dutch island of Riau. Like all other tropical countries of the Orient, the Luga group is full of Chinese. Many Malay, Javanese, and Siamese cities present the general appearance of being chiefly inhabited by Celestials, their own natives playing, but secondary parts in daily affairs. Throughout numerous regions of the Antipodes, protector of the Chinese is the technical title of important officials, many of whom speak and read the difficult language being scholars deeply versed in the literary treasures of this oldest of civilizations. Over the especial group of islands, of which Riau is one, the Sultan of Luga exercises a certain control under Dutch sovereignty. Here the official in charge of Chinese interests is a Dutch gentleman of wide attainments, through whose courtesy we attended a Chinese wedding of much splendor during the summer just past. Approaching the bridegroom's house, a sort of cage was seen suspended over the entrance. Sign royal that the bride had come, was within, and might be inspected by the favored. A stage, draped in superb embroideries, was erected in the street immediately opposite the doorway, whereon many actors, elaborately and richly arrayed, were perpetrating plays of interminable length. Extremely dramatic, the performers were stamping about in despair, dying with much realism, stiffening in wild alarms, trembling in abject terror, and otherwise exhibiting mixed and violent emotions, with facial expressions to match. Somebody nearly related to the Emperor had been murdered in jest, and Nemesis was in process of arriving. But it might be days and nights, yet before the play was finished and the story told to its ending a solid mass of admiring humanity watched the play with breathless interest. In the wide covered space between stage and house, tables were spread with dainty sweetmeats and exquisite little silver forks to lift them from the artistic dishes. Here sat only invited guests, but anyone might watch the play outside. In the first floor rooms of the house were other tables, where friends of a still deeper grade of intimacy were entertained at supper. But even here were subtle distinctions, furniture of finely carved wood, the chairs inlaid with marble seats and mother of pearl decoration, delicate china, ivory chopsticks for the upper-class relatives and friends, stools, coarse china, and black chopsticks for those of lower degree, each to his own. The bridegroom, a big, fat, handsome boy of 17, with a kindly, intelligent face, and dressed in a gorgeous peacock-green brocade robe with a mandarin hat, was assiduously looking after his friends, his fine old father likewise playing hospitable host most courteously. In glass cases were portrait figures of father and mother, carved and colored, perfect in every detail of likeness, with no wrinkle omitted. Through several rooms of feasting guests, we made our way past a rear apartment where servants were making merry, and so up a finely polished stairway to the center of all the festivities, the little bride herself. This upper room was intensely hot, lighted by scores of flaring lamps and candles, and filled with women friends. The heroine of the celebration, a gentle little maiden of 17, was seated on a stool, her black hair, elaborately arranged, hands meekly folded, eyes cast down while an old woman standing close beside her was vigorously fanning the stifling air into some semblance of a breeze. Even then it seemed incredible that she should not faint under the burden of her apparel. Six deep piled the gorgeous embroideries on her poor little body, three or four scalloped capes of different lengths, coats short and long, Petticoats of diverse shapes, and underneath the accumulation a thickly pleated skirt, showing the finest embroidery of all. Though each garment was stiff with gold and flowers of all shades in delicate stitches upon the rich silks, the smooth hair bore $2,000 worth of gold and silver ornaments and precious stones in daggers and pins and dragons. But never a word said the demure little bride or a movement made, except once, as the perspiration dripped from her chin, to look up in a helpless sort of way at the peering faces all about. In parts of China, the ordeal is worse, for it is considered the best of form, and particularly salutary, for everybody to make audible comment of bitter tenor, and in tones modulated for the certain hearing of their victim. Her clothes are very common, What hideous hands, How awkwardly she sits, being a few of the gentle remarks frequently levelled at the innocent and unoffending subject. These and the like are flung at her not only for hours, but during several successive days. Here the remarks were but occasional and not very biting in character. Behind the bride, with her modest downcast eyes, was an open doorway leading to the bridal chamber, where stood a gorgeous bed of carved teak canopy frame particularly rich in heavy flowers and leaves in high relief. The hangings and covers were of scarlet, embroidered in gold and silver, while suspended ornaments of silver diversified the upper frame with exceedingly valuable decoration. A case of carved wood with glass doors contained shelves, upon which, neatly folded, were silk sarongs and robes of many sorts, tiny shoes petticoats, and more silver and gold, the little lady's whole dowry of riches. In a corner stood a table bearing two enormous silver candlesticks in which flared huge flames. Behind them, against the wall, were fantastically arranged towers and pyramids of attractive color and texture, monuments of sweetmeats. In front, a heavy silver teapot and two silver cups and saucers. During the forenoon, the young couple had sat for a few moments at the table, making a pretense of taking breakfast together. This was the gist of the whole ceremony and clinched the matter. All the rest was mere externals, non-essential to the heart of the occasion. I tried to make the gentle bride lift her eyes and at least smile a farewell as we left her, but the most we could obtain was a flicker of the eyelids, which we interpreted into a friendly goodbye. End of An Equatorial Chinese Wedding by Mabel Loomis Todd